I can be real with you, Lord, and say anything and not be afraid. I love that, Lord. I love what the Lord shared with with me this morning, and I love the way he shared it. He is just so amazing. In Proverbs 25, 2, we read, It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, and the glory of kings to search it out. Other translations say, It is God's privilege to conceal things. Rulers are praised for explaining mysteries. Or, It is God's privilege to conceal things, but the glory of kings to search things out. And of course, that's a little K, because we are little kings. And the Lord spoke to me, and he said that in this hour, this is the Daniel anointing. And I'm so grateful for Charlie Champ and his ministry and his book on mystical prayer, where I've learned how to exercise and explore the realms of visions and dreams through the use or the entering into of the mystical form of contemplative prayer. So this morning, how I entered into contemplative prayer was that I was listening to a beautiful audio version of the book of John, written or rather spoken by a man with a beautiful British accent. And I found myself awakening, and this is the time Charlie says that you will have, it's really a vision, all your dreams are actually visions, and especially as you begin to awaken. And what I saw was, I saw Jesus, actually what I first saw was the written words, I saw the sand and the words written And that's when the Holy Spirit began to awaken me quickly because it was a flash and it was passing and quickly had me grab my phone and type in the words that I saw. But actually, I didn't type in what I saw. He had me type in what I heard because this is how my gift, my seeing gift operates a lot lately. It's developed into I will see a picture or a series of pictures or a little vision, and I will hear spoken words. And that's what happened this morning. And then as I became fully awake, I realized that the author reading to me was reading from that section in the book of John where Jesus was bent over and writing in the sand. So what I word was, Howl, Het, Paw, Paw. And at first, I began to search for Hebrew words. But what I actually landed on, it was 
the reverse. It was English words for the first word was howl. And what I found is that to howl in the Strong's Concordance is to to make, to howl, to be howling, a primitive root, to howl with a wailing tone or yell, with a boisterous one, to make, to howl, to be howling. Okay, I got that, to howl. And then het, I never knew this, but it is a variation of heated. And we know that in the Middle East, in the summer seasons in particular, the heat is so intense that during the midday, it is the most intense. And many things happened according to scriptures. In Revelation 3, uh, 15 was the verse that jumped out at me is, I know thy works, that thou art neither hot nor cold. And I knew just by the Spirit then that the Lord was talking to me about the lukewarm nature of something or someone. I felt it was a someone. So then I looked up pawpaw. And what I never knew is that pawpaw is a variant of papaya. Now the papaya that most of us know about grows in places such as Hawaii and India but the pawpaw is of another uh, line, and it is grown in North America across the U.S. and Canada, and it is a shrub that grows well in a hilly terrain. And so, my fellow intercessors, the word of the Lord today is howl or groan for my lukewarm North America It is an instruction for us to intercede and pray for our beloved North America. You take your stand. You choose me all over again. I am the one you love. He loves us. I am the one. You love he loves me. us. I don't have to prove anything. There's room at the table for me. I am the one. much he loves us and this morning I had a beautiful time dancing with him through the word and I wanted to share a revelation that I believe he poured on my heart this morning and I would call it the way of transfiguration 
Reading from Luke 9, starting at verse 28. About eight days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John to a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became dazzling white. Then two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared and began talking with Jesus. They were glorious to see and they were speaking of how he was about to fulfill God's plan by dying in Jerusalem. Peter and the others were very drowsy and had fallen asleep. Now they woke up and saw Jesus' glory and the two men standing with him. And then if we go from there and jump down to verse 44, Jesus says, Listen to me and remember what I say. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed. This was after they had returned and come down from the mountain. And the Lord said to me this morning that this transfiguration moment marked a shift and triggered an acceleration of the impending betrayal. And then he began to speak to me about the way of transfiguration. And if we read in Luke 9, verse 23, we see in the Living Translation, If any of us wants to be a follower, you must put aside your selfish ambition, shoulder your cross daily, and follow me. Going on, jumping down to verse 44, again, we see, just to reinforce it, Listen to me and remember what I say. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed. And then he says in verse 48, Anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me, and anyone who welcomes me welcomes my Father who sent me. Whoever is the least among you is the greatest. And even jumping down further to verse 50, we see, anyone who is not against you is for you. There's something going on here that the Lord is speaking to us about. There's something about the betrayal and the acceleration that occurred in the betrayal as a result of the transfiguration. And there's an instruction here for us that the way for us to walk in transfiguration in, in contemporary, in the contemporary time is that we have to be like a child and welcome the Lord. And as we welcome the Lord Christ Jesus, we welcome the Father. And we have to be willing to set aside all selfish ambition. In other versions of Luke 9.23, American Standard Version, he said unto all, If any man would come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross daily, and follow me. Amplified Classic says, 
And he said to all, If anyone wills to come after me, let him deny himself, disown himself, forget, lose sight of himself and his own interests, refuse and give up himself, and take up his cross daily and follow me, cleave steadfastly to me, conform wholly to my example in living, and if need be, dying also. I think that that translation says it brilliantly, that part of our process is dying to the right to be offended, even by those who betray us. That if we're dancing with Jesus, dancing in the revelation of the co-crucifixion, where we know that the face-to-face encounter, according to the Hebrew understanding of that, is actually mouth-to-mouth. So the co-crucifixion, the ecstasy of our bliss, is in that moment of the co-crucifixion where we dance mouth-to-mouth with Christ Jesus as the cross, on the cross. He not only died for us, He not only died as us, we died with him so that now we, we can live as he lived. Hallelujah. So I guess what the Lord is saying this morning is that we can expect betrayal. Not that we go looking at it, not in earnest expectation, not in like hope. We don't hope to be betrayed, but the word does tell us that we will suffer persecution. And we identify with Christ's suffering in that. Actually, I like it in the regular Amplified. um, 923 says, and he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to follow me as my disciple, he must deny himself, set aside selfish interests, and take up his cross daily, expressing a willingness to endure whatever may come, and follow me, believing in me, conforming to my example in living, and if need be, suffering, or perhaps dying, because of faith in me. So what this really is saying to me this morning is to remain in the union of communion, that mouth-to-mouth revelation of co-crucifixion, dancing with the lover of our soul, dancing through this life with the lover of our soul, with Christ Jesus, that we must be in vital union with him, keeping that ever, ever present in our minds, in our hearts, walking in that revelation, not allowing the torments and troubles, the storms of this life to distract us, or even the experiences in the supernatural, because even in the account of transfiguration on the Mount of Transfiguration, the the brothers up there were gripped with terror in uh, Luke 9, verse 34. Uh, let's actually jump up to 32. Peter and the others were very drowsy. That struck me too, that here they are, drowsy again. Were very drowsy and had fallen asleep. 
Now they woke up and saw Jesus' glory and the two men standing with him. As Moses and Elijah were starting to leave, Peter, not even knowing what he was saying, blurted out, Master, this is wonderful. We will make three shrines, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But even as he was saying this, a cloud came over them, a cloud, a supernatural event, another supernatural event took place. Something came out of the glory realm. It was this cloud. And what happened in that moment? Terror gripped them as it covered them. And um, Bryn Champ taught this past week at Deliverance and Healing School here at Destiny Encounters about the storm. And when Peter walked out on the sea, well, the storm came at them. And these were fishermen who, who were used to storms out on the water. They lived with the storms. So they didn't like the storm, but they weren't terrified by the storm. What terrified them? was the supernatural occurrence of Christ Jesus, of Jesus. He wasn't Christ yet, but of Jesus of Nazareth, the anoint, he was still anointed, <laughs> walking on the water. So what God is speaking to us through all of these beautiful pieces that he's pulling together, like, like knitting or crocheting, you know, is that, oh, it's, yeah, it's crocheting, um, a net for the harvest as he sends us out as fishers of men to bring in the harvest we are going to experience supernatural occurrences and we're going to experience things in the natural and we're going to experience forms of betrayal because we are walking as christ walked in the earth christ in us the hope of glory and us seated in christ bringing us back to john seventeen twenty one, where i have been living now for several years with a revelation regarding the fact that, you know, it's the three in one living in us and us in them, seated in them, seated in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion in Christ Jesus and any name that can be given in this age and in the one to come. We will remain seated in him and we are united with all the saints past present and future, the cloud of witnesses is with us. When we experience betrayal, when we experience the rejection and the hurt and the abandonment of betrayal, when we are attacked by the principalities and the spiritual rulers, when they drop down into our zone, into this atmosphere here, we are allowed to war against them and to take authority over them, not only allowed, but we are instructed to. And that speaks to the bridal authority. We are the bride of Christ. We are individually sons of God, and we are the bride of Christ, and we can step on and crunch under our feet every asp, every viper, every attack of the enemy. But we must remain in vital union in the union of communion with our beloved, with our beloved. I am my beloved and my beloved is mine. Another verse that's been my mainstay for over 20 years. Hallelujah. So I hope that this blesses you 
Uh, as much as it's blessed me, I believe it's come right out of the heart of our bridegroom for me to share with you today. I bless you all. Hallelujah, fellow intercessors. His blood reaches to the highest mountains. It flows to the lowest valleys, even for our children, even for our prodigals. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. This morning, I wanted to read to you from Joshua 2, beginning at verse 1. Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Achaia Grove. He instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. But someone told the king of Jericho, Some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, Bring out the men who have come into your house, for they have come here to spy out the whole land. Rahab had hidden the two men, but she replied, Yes, the men were here earlier, but I didn't know where they were from. They left the town at dusk, and as the gates were about to close, I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. Actually, she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them beneath bundles of flax she had laid out. So the king's men went looking for the spies along the road leading to the shallow crossings of the Jordan River. And as soon as the king's men had left, the gate of Jericho was shut. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. 
everyone in the land is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Shihon and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens and above and the earth below. Hallelujah. Jumping down to verse 17. Before they left, the men told her, We will be bound by the oath we have taken only if you follow these instructions. When we come into the land, you must leave this scarlet rope hanging from the window through which you let us down, and all your family members, your father, mother, brothers, and all your relatives must be here inside the house. If they go out into the streets and are killed, it will not be our fault. But if anyone lays a hand on people inside this house, we will accept the responsibility for their death. If you betray us, however, we are not bound by this oath in any way. Let's follow Rahab's example. Let's faithfully plead the blood over our family members and other loved ones so that when Jesus returns, they'll be ready to meet him. Let's follow the instructions of the Lord and pray for our beloved family members, especially our prodigals. We call to you, Lord Jesus, in faith, and we use the blood, and we decree and declare that we believe you and take you at your word, that you will cause heaven to wrestle against them, even in their beds in the night time, that you will speak to them through the night watches. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, God. I thank you, Lord. I thank you for your blood. I plead the blood of Jesus. I plead the blood of Jesus now, Lord. I plead the blood of Jesus over each and every one of our prodigals, your progenies. I plead the blood of Jesus. Plead the blood of Jesus with me, brothers and sisters, in the porch prayer house. Plead the blood of Jesus over your loved ones. Oh, we plead the blood of Jesus. We thank you for the blood that speaks of a new and a better covenant. Oh, I thank you, Lord. Take communion, my dear ones. Take communion over your loved ones. Jesus said, this is my bread. He took the, his, he, Jesus said, this is my body. This bread represents my body. He held the bread up and he gave thanks and he broke the bread. His body wasn't broken, but he broke the bread in re for us to remember. He said, do this in remembrance of me. He broke the bread and gave it to us. Hallelujah. He broke the bread that we could take of his body. We consume your body, Lord. We give thanks. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that your body was broken, not broken. Your body was beaten and smitten for our transgressions and that of our forefathers. Thank you that every 
inequity, every hereditary curse over our lives and that of our children, the seed from our womb was broken at the point of co-crucifixion, Lord Jesus, increase our revelation and understanding that we were, according to Galatians 2.20 and Romans 6, 6 co-crucified with you, that we are new creatures. We even have new DNA. Our blood is now your blood. And, and we thank you that as we partake of your body and we drink of the cup of your blood, we partake of your blood, the blood that you shed on our behalf, the blood that you shed on behalf of our children. And then you ascended and we co-ascended with you, not only co co-crucified, but then co-buried in the baptism of communion and laid in the tomb, the womb of the tomb with you, from whence we co-resurrected with you. And now we have co-ascended with you where we are co-seated with you. And so then are our prodigals. They belong to you. The blood of Jesus covers them, protects them. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your blood over their hearts, their minds, their souls, over their bodies. Thank you for protecting each and every one of them, every name on that list, Lord, every young person, old person, every person on that list, every loved one of every person that since 2020 has sent their names to us, Lord, the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. Oh, we thank you for that precious blood of Jesus. never going to lose its power, loved ones. Victory in Jesus. Wherever they go, to the highest mountain that they try to run away from him to climb up, his blood is with them. To the lowest valley, if they're in the lowest valley of their lives, the blood is still calling out for them. Jesus, you are with them. You are with our loved ones. And over each and every one of us too, Lord, give us strength. Give us strength to stand. Give us strength to confess. Glory to God. Today's rehearsal is from the book Needless Casualties of War by John Paul Jackson. Chapter 8 Advancing God's Kingdom For thousands of years, a close connection has existed between prayer, advancing the kingdom of God, and destroying the works of the enemy. Prayer is indispensable in advancing God's kingdom. The church was birthed in an atmosphere of prayer. Parenthesis, Acts 2, and parenthesis, and flourished despite a great spiritual attack from the enemy. Incredible spiritual authority has been released on earth to destroy the works of the enemy and advance God's kingdom. Although I am convinced that authority has not been given to us to have dominion over any of the heavenly realms, that does not mean that we do not need to have great passion in prayer, nor does it mean 
that we do not have an understanding that we are at war. God has exercised authority in the heavens and continues to exercise it today, in God's arena. As the sovereign of the universe, God has determined that the gates of hell will not prevail against what he wants to establish on the earth. God promises us divine protection. I will contend with those who contend with you. Isaiah 49, verse 25b. The Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 3. Demonic principalities can hinder us as they did Daniel. Parenthesis, Daniel 10, verse 13, and parenthesis. But it is the sins and the sinfulness of people that cause our churches to become stagnant and spiritually impotent. If a church is full of unrepentant sin, spiritual maturity is curtailed. Miracles and conversions may seldom happen, even though the hearts of some seem pure and the word is accurately preached. But as we change our hearts and actions through repentance, aided by discernment of spirits, words of knowledge, prophecies, and revelations, God can reveal to individuals territorial hindrances and stimulate corporate repentance. Is that not a divine strategy to take the earth for God's glory? Keys of Authority In Matthew, Jesus said the following, And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Matthew 16, verse 19. Keys unlock doors of power and authority. Some theologians believe that the word key is a metaphor for the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Parenthesis, Revelation 1, verse 18, and parenthesis. Others believe it represents the function of the Holy Spirit. We must take notice that Jesus descended to obtain the keys to give us. We often act as though we must ascend to grasp the keys. If the keys for taking the heavens were in celestial places, why didn't Jesus first ascend to find those keys? Parentheses, Ephesians 4, verses 8 through 9, and parentheses. Rather, he descended into hell to reclaim keys that belonged on earth and had been taken there by Satan. The keys to the kingdom are earthly, not celestial. We must fight for the earth, on the earth. In the book of Revelation, Jesus possesses the keys of Hades and death. By his lordship over life and death, Jesus took captive Satan's powers and authority on earth. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Revelation 1, verse 18. As the promised Messiah from the tribe of Judah, Jesus holds the key of David. The key of the house of David I will lay on his shoulder. Isaiah 22, verse 22. 
and the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, and shuts, and not opens. Revelation 3, verse 7. During Bible times, a practice existed among the Hebrew people. The father, or head of the household, carried keys on a rope, tied around his waist, that unlocked the storerooms within the house. Prior to his death, he would call for his oldest son. In a final act, the father would lay the keys on his son's shoulders, signifying the passage of authority from the father to the son. What Jesus descended to get, he gave to his disciples. They passed them on to us in compliance with the Great Commission. As followers of Jesus, possessing the keys means that we have been given his authority on earth. We have never been given the key to heaven, only keys to this earth, earthly sphere. Jesus is the power behind the keys. If he is ignored, overlooked, or denied, then neither heaven's blessings nor those of the earth can be unlocked for us. By turning over the keys to us, Jesus has released authority to bind and loose on earth as we see the Father already doing in heaven. Binding and Loosing Some people believe the passage in Matthew 16 suggests if you bind on earth, it is subsequently bound in the heavens, but actually the reverse is true. Linguistic studies reveal that the verb in Matthew 16 verses 18 through 19 is in the future perfect passive paraphrasic tense. This simply means that the literal way the verse should be read is, whatever you bind on earth will have already been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will have already been loosed in heaven. Many Bible publishers include this as a note in the margins. So to be more accurate, binding or loosing is first done in heaven and then manifested on earth. God binds in heaven, which allows us to bind on earth. God looses in heaven, so we loose on earth. This understanding also parallels the prayer example of Jesus in Matthew 6, on earth as it is in heaven. God binds or looses in heaven depending on the actions of men. Binding means to prohibit or forbid. Loosing means to allow freedom. See footnote 17. We watch what God the Father is doing and then bind or loose what he has already bound or loosed. However, in the context of Matthew 16, and later in Matthew 18, binding and loosing are terms used to describe church discipline, excommunicating or reconciling a sinner. Therefore, we cannot use these passages to support the idea of binding celestial powers. It is clear in Matthew 18 that following the protocol established by God allows us to walk in authority over the earthly demonic realm. However, there is no scriptural precedent for saying 
I bind you, Satan. Even Jesus did not speak to Satan that way. Binding Satan is yet to be accomplished by Jesus at the end. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil, and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and he cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal on him, so that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years were finished. But after these things he must be released for a little while. Revelation 20 verses 1 through 3. In scripture, we have a clear example of how to deal with demons when they manifest. We cast them out. Breaking the power of the devil is best accomplished by doing the works of Jesus. We are to fight second heaven principalities and powers the same way Jesus and his followers did. Jesus himself said that he only did that which he saw his father doing. Therefore, if Jesus saw God heal someone in heaven, perhaps in a vision while he was praying, then power was loosed on earth to accomplish what he had seen in heaven. Although God's people lived under demonic principalities of religion, sexual perversion, and other dark powers, and legions of spirits were spread over the entire Roman Empire, Jesus never addressed them in the second heaven. He only addressed them terrestrially by ministering to men, women, and children, setting them free. Think about it. Of all the times Jesus taught his disciples, there is not one illustration in which Jesus or his disciples bound celestial beings in the heavenly realms. But there are hundreds of examples of demonic spirits being bound in individuals. This is terrestrial warfare. Principalities over Israel If we stopped to consider, we would realize that principalities operated over Israel during the time of Jesus. Rome and the rest of the known world were driven by principalities of darkness. Jesus never attacked them. Why? As fully man and fully God, Jesus demonstrated man's response to Satan's kingdom. Man was to exercise authority on earth to defeat the enemy, leaving principalities in the second heaven to God. Even when the principalities and powers tried to drown Jesus and his disciples on the Sea of Galilee, Jesus did not speak to the principalities and powers. He rebuked the wind and spoke to the sea. Parentheses, Mark 4, verses 35 through 41, and parentheses. Jesus' authority over the earth was greater than Satan's authority. Therefore, he did not have to address the principalities. The earth responded to a higher authority than the demonic command. Jesus never lost heavenly authority. The principle Jesus communicated to his followers just before he ascended to the Father is vitally important to the perpetuation and advancement of God's kingdom. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. To paraphrase, Jesus said that he had regained all earthly authority. Whatever mankind needed to subdue the earth was lost in the fall. Jesus restored to us. Now, we are to do everything Jesus taught us to do, and to teach others to do likewise. God's kingdom power will accompany us until he returns. Remember, Jesus was not saying he had retrieved heavenly authority, because, as I said previously, he had never lost it. He was simply stating that he now has both authority on earth as well as in heaven. What Jesus did not do was as vitally important as what he did. Don't focus on the giants. When I travel to various cities around the world, people often ask me if I have discernment about principalities and powers over their cities. In trying to grow their church or launch an evangelism initiative, they want to do everything to eliminate the assaults of the enemy. To their surprise, I tell them, I don't even concern myself with the principalities and powers in the heavens. The shock on their faces reveals what they have been thinking and doing. Instead, I ask if they know what God is doing and going to do in their city. Then I gently tell them that my focus is on God and what he is doing and planning to do. I do not focus on Satan or his hordes. When the twelve spies returned to Moses after scouting out the promised land, ten focused on the giants, parentheses, number thirteen, parentheses. Two spies, Joshua and Caleb, focused on taking the land and gave a favorable report, parentheses, numbers, chapter fourteen, verses six through nine, and parentheses. Joshua and Caleb said, If the Lord delights in us, then he will give us the land. Don't fear the giants in the land. The Lord is with us. One question should be, is the Lord with us? If he is, then the giants should fear us. All too often, we focus on celestial giants instead of concentrating our efforts on taking the land and obtaining the new wine and its milk and honey. Frequently, I hear people say, the reason we can't go in is the giants. We must first take them down. I think perhaps a major reason we are not going in to possess the land is that we are more interested in giants than we are desperate to take the honey of our inheritance. Seek God's heart. Everything I do is to seek to know God's heart, to learn what revelations or miracles he wants to accomplish. And then I try to participate with him in advancing the kingdom of God. Spending time to discern and map the names of demonic principalities that oversee cities and nations only serves to distract me. I am not saying that it has no value, but only that it distracts me from my focus on God and his grand design. Over the years, I've discovered a simple truth. Whatever you focus upon, you steer toward. If you are driving your car around a curve and you focus on a wall as you're driving, most likely you'll hit the wall. 
but if you quit looking at the wall and focus ahead, you will avoid smashing your car. Whatever you fix your attention upon will consume you. It's true in the natural and in the spiritual. Likewise, when I enter a city, I ask God to reveal his purposes and plans for that church, city, or region. If for some reason I discern specific demonic strongholds, then I know that God is going to bring freedom to some people who are harassed by those demonic spirits. However, I don't find those celestial beings in the heavenly realms. If we seek God, pray, and humble ourselves, then God will bring freedom and deliverance. Furthermore, incredible signs and wonders will usually follow the preaching of God's word. I refuse to focus on the evil one. Instead, I choose to focus on God and what he is doing. John Sanford has also shared about the need to focus on God's purposes and not the enemy's schemes. Years ago, when Paula and I would see the Holy Spirit, years ago, when Paula and I would see by the Holy Spirit whatever demonic oppressions lurked over the conference site or the region, we would think, oh no, it's going to be tough to minister here. Then it would be, because that was the level of our faith. We were celebrating the strength of the flesh and of the demonic principality rather than Jesus. The Lord said, John and Paula, you carry within you an overcoming atmosphere. I live in you and I am stronger than anything in the world. Focus on me and serve others. I will change the atmosphere for you. God instructed us to read Psalms 84 verses 5 through 7. From then on, whenever we saw oppressive forces over a church or a region, we would pray, put our faith in his power, and serve forgetting about those evil forces. Ministry invariably became easier and miracles followed. God did not tell us to be sure to dispose of powers of darkness in the heavenly realms so that we could minister freely. He only reminded us to believe that by his power on and around us, we would turn dry valleys into springs and would go from strength to strength. Ministry has been a joy ever since. What is your focus? Discerning dark powers? Wrestling with the demonic principalities over your city? Often such concentration tends to intensify warfare, brings depression, and generates demonic activity by giving the enemy a stage on which to perform. God never instructs us to be concerned about the assault demonic principalities in the second heaven are afflicting on geographic areas. The Look of Love Scripture encourages us to focus our attention on Jesus who is altogether lovely, true, noble, just, pure, virtuous, and praiseworthy. He has a good report. Through Jesus, we can take the land in spite of the giants. Moreover, Jesus has made us kings and priests to serve God eternally. Parentheses, Revelation 1, verse 6, and parentheses. Jesus has delegated divine authority to us to extend and administrate God's rule on the earth. This involves confronting dark powers, bringing deliverance, and increasing the expectation to see the miraculous works of God.
we do this as kingdom priests, embracing a spirit of worship directed toward God. Worship is foundational to advancing the kingdom of God. It is giving focused attention to God and requires that we fix our eyes on Jesus. Hebrews 12, verse 2, and parentheses. It is Satan who desires to steal our attention away from Jesus. Frankly, my determined focus is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, humble myself and pray. I also focus on my need to live a holy life unto God and to pursue peace. God's word speaks of humbling ourselves before our creator and one another. If we do, scripture promises all these things will be given to us. Embracing a posture of humility and repentance will alter the atmosphere around us. God dwells with those who are contrite and humble. Parentheses, Isaiah 57, verse 15, and chapter 66, verse 2, and parentheses. We need to seek his face. He will govern the cosmos. God allows angelic principalities to exist over geographic regions as a blessing, and he allows demonic principalities to exist over geographic regions as a curse. As Graham Cook, an overseer of a large network of churches in England, has aptly said, quotation, True spiritual warfare is not binding and loosing the enemy, but knowing the majesty and supremacy of God. End quotation. See footnote 19. Granted, Satan and his demonic kingdom will continue to resist and strike aggressively against God's kingdom on earth, and we will need to rally toward the fight. But our ever-wise commander, the Lord of hosts, has drawn the battle lines and established the rules of engagement. To venture beyond our protected realm leaves us vulnerable to vicious attack. When we abandon our God-given sphere of authority, and engage in second heaven warfare, we stray into a deadly realm where we have no protection or authority, a realm where God never intended his children to be. Sons of Sceva Nearly 2,000 years ago, the seven sons of Sceva violated this fundamental principle of operating without God-given authority. Then, some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. End quotation. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, quotation, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? End quotation. Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leapt on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Acts 19, verses 13 through 16. Demonstrating presumption, those men attempted to cast out demons without receiving God's authority. Consequently, the demons subdued, overwhelmed, and wounded the men who ran for their lives. Perhaps we should heed this example as a warning to the body. 
I present this chapter to you, my friends, as an offering, as I am exercising uh, in preparation for my launch to be an audible book reader. Please forgive any mistakes, noises in the background, flipping of pages, or phone calls coming in. I do hope that you glean great things from this chapter. I know I did. Bless you, bless you. Good afternoon, beloved Porch Prayer friends. Today is May 2nd, 2023, and it's 2.37 Eastern Standard Time. I wanted to come on and share with you today revelation that the Lord's giving me to pray out of, not only for our prodigals, but especially our prodigals but also for unequally yoked marriages, for trafficked children, for families of children with special needs, and for the homeless children, especially those in our own areas, but also all over the earth. The Lord our God, he cares about them all. So I was with Charlie Champ in Georgia this weekend, and on the way there, my friend Lyris and I were traveling, and I saw a dead animal on the side of the road, you know, in the middle of the highway, actually. And it leapt out to me, and I was like, hmm, is that a dog or a coyote? And Lyris said, or a fox. Truthfully, I do believe it was a coyote. But nonetheless, Charlie walked into the meeting Saturday night, and he began to say how the Lord had showed him a new mantle coming down for this congregation. And he said, it's an animal skin. And that whole conversation that followed Lyris and I seeing that coyote was about animal skins. Because then we passed a vendor on the side of the road that was selling animal skin rugs. And she's from South Africa, and she began to tell me how many people in South Africa use animal skins for their floors and even for their walls, and how she had this beautiful animal skin blanket when she was young, and she brought it to America with her, but it got wrecked in the traveling overseas. I guess it probably came on a boat. But anyway, to get back to Charlie, so Charlie said what he, something fell on his shoulder and he asked God, what is that? And God said it was a fox, a fox pelt. And he began to tell the congregation that um, they were going to slay all their foxes. So I knew from previous research from a couple of years ago that the fox is considered a devious animal. It's a crafty animal. It represents deception. And wouldn't you know, this morning, just in my daily walk, I've been um, really enjoying my daily walk Bible. 
I love the way God leads me. It's never the same way for me. It's always a different way or a revisiting of an old way. And in this season, this year, he has me reading my daily walk Bible, which I really like. It's in the New Living Translation. And each day you get a uh, Old Testament, New Testament, and a Psalm and a Proverb reading. Well, where did I end up today? I ended up in Judges chapter 15, verses 4 through 5. So this is the section where of Judges where Samson captures 300 fox. He puts them in 150 pairs of two by tying their tails together. He lights those torches and he sends them out into the green fields, the grapevines, and the olive trees of his enemy. So what God is saying right now, the enemy's provision is being destroyed. His food, his oil, and his ability to reproduce in the lives of our loved ones. His wine as well. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So I just release that over our prodigals, our unequally yoked marriages, the lives of the trafficked children, the families of the children with special needs, and the homeless children in our areas. Father, we thank you that you are sending in those foxes with their torch tails on fire to destroy the works of the enemy, his ability to reproduce, destroying his provision, destroying his oil and his wine, and his ability to infiltrate the lives of these special groups of people that you've given us to intercede for, especially the prodigals, off of our bloodlines. Hallelujah. And then today I was praying um, with my dear sister-in-law, who is my sister in Christ, even before she's the wife of my brother. Uh, she prayed me into the kingdom, she and my brother, and they mentored me and taught me. They discipled me so beautifully. And I don't get to pray with her that often since I've moved here, but it was really a blessing. And what I saw was, I saw God's pinball machine. God said that their lives are in his pinball machine. He's the one that sprang the lever or pulled the trigger to release them. And that though they may be being bumped here and bumped there, they're hitting the bumpers of the Holy Ghost to his pathways for their lives. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Also, just a reminder of that awesome word that God goes before them. So wherever they're going, wherever the little life of theirs, that little pinball life of theirs is going, God goes before them. He goes with them. And he has promised to never leave them or forsake them. So I'm actually going to open my Bible. You're going to hear my Bible opening and closing. I absolutely love the sound of the pages of the Bible. And I'm going to take us to Psalm 103. It's another place the Lord brought me today. Psalm 103, 17 
and 18. This is a promise, my friends. The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to such as keep his covenant and to those who remember his commandments to do them. New King James Version. But this is the decree. We thank you, Lord, that your mercy, which is from everlasting to everlasting, sits upon each of us under the sound of my voice, for we do fear you. The fear of the Lord is present in our lives, and your righteousness extends to our children's children. Because we keep your covenant, we have an even better covenant, Lord, than Rahab had, and look what you did for Rahab. You do even greater for us, for we remember you, we remember your commandments, and we do them. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. And then if we go to Song of Solomon, or Song of Songs, whichever uh, title your Bible gives it, gives that book, that awesome book that's just full of God's love for us. It's such a beautiful love poem that he's written to us. Here it is, Song of Solomon, chapter 2. <clears throat> Excuse me. Chapter 2, verses, verse 15. Ah, yes, this is so good. This is a confirmation about the scripture about the foxes. Catch us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vine, for our vines have tender grapes. Thank you, Lord, that you have captured the foxes that are attempting to spoil the vine, the fruit of our own wombs, hallelujah, and that just like you showed us with Samson, you've tied their tails together and you use them as a torch to burn the ability of the enemy to set on fire his provision, his wine, his oil, and all his minions from attempting to distract and detract our loved ones, our prodigals, whether they be our children, our brothers, our sisters, our nieces and nephews, fathers, cousins, whoever it is, Lord. Thank you. We believe you, Lord. We take you at your word. And then if you remember in Deuteronomy... Chapter 31, <laughs> sorry about the creaky door in the background, verse 8, here is the promise that we stand on, and the Lord, he is the one who goes before you, he will be with you, he will not leave you nor forsake you, do not fear or be dismayed, do not fear or be dismayed, beloved. The Lord our God goes before our loved ones, and he is with them, and he will not leave them nor forsake them. Be not afraid, and be not dismayed. Father, we stand upon these covenant promises. We stand upon your promises. We stand upon your rhema word, your logos word. We stand and believe, and we prophesy from the written and the revealed word of God over the lives of our loved ones, our prodigals, those that have unequally yoked marriages, 
upon the trafficked children, over those families with special needs children, and over the homeless ones, Lord, all over the earth. And we thank you, Lord, and we bless you.